to Everything a Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Year, a weekly devotional series based on readings relevant to the current liturgical season. You can watch this series live on our YouTube page every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for tuning in, and now on to this week's discussion. Welcome. We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to To Everything is Season, Lutheran Reflections Through the Church Here. My name is William Green, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor Brian King. Tonight, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we usually pick a reading from either one of the epistles or more commonly the gospel readings, occasionally the Old Testament reading. Uh, but tonight, we actually wanted to focus on the psalm appointed for the week. And so uh, tonight's episode is going to be primarily dedicated to talking about uh, psalms and uh, Psalm 84 in particular. However, before we get to that, uh, we did just have a few important housekeeping items we wanted to touch on. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Lent will begin soon, and next week will be our last regularly formatted devotion before the Lenten season begins. Starting on Ash Wednesday, uh, in, instead of doing our normal discussion like we normally have, we will actually be broadcasting a portion of uh, St. Luke Lutheran's uh, midweek services, right, Pastor? Right. The whole on on YouTube and Facebook, it'll be the whole service, mm-hmm. and then for the podcast, you're going to trim it down and add uh, the readings in the sermon, I believe. Yep. Yep. That's right. And so, if you tune into the podcast, you'll still get the readings appointed for the week, just like you would here, and then you'll hear Pastor King's sermon in addition to that. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, great. So, sorry. Couldn't resist. But but that's so, not the only announcement you need to make. Well. That's right. That's right. So uh, after Lent concludes, or shortly thereafter, uh, I think we're still working out the timing. We will no longer be broadcasting live to St. Luke's YouTube and Facebook pages. Uh, Pastor King, do you want to explain the context for that? Right. So um, I'm retiring yeah, yeah, great. That's the context. And uh, St. Luke has called a new pastor who's accepted. We're very happy about that and praying for a good transition for our, our new pastor at St. Luke. But I will mm-hmm. be leaving. But Will and I had wanted to continue the To Everything a Season devotion podcast broadcast. Right. So, but we'll no longer be on St. Luke's YouTube and Facebook channel and page where we... We have a lot of people who watch us and join us regularly. Right. So, but we will be at, um, now here is a the website for LutheranReflections.org with a QR code. If you want to take your camera and shoot that quickly, uh, that'll take you to that page. And there are links there to well, obviously the podcast. And if you're on a computer in the upper right-hand corner, our YouTube channel it's yes. it's really small on that on that web page. That's just the way it's designed. But you can also find us on YouTube, youtube.com slash at Lutheran Reflections. Yes. That's and that's a separate QR code for that if you want to put that on your camera or copy that down quickly. And we can put these back up uh, at the end of our devotion tonight for people to to write down, copy, or take a snap of. Yes. Right. And and we'll do a reminder next week as well. So, so just to clarify, there are still three platforms on which you will be able to watch us live. 
and that is YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch as well. We're at Lutheran Reflections on Twitch. And uh, the at Lutheran Reflections is our handle across all of our social media platforms. So that should be the same for Facebook as well. Uh, but if you go to youtube.com slash at Lutheran Reflections, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel there if you want to continue watching us live. Now, if you're a podcast listener, there won't be any changes. Uh, just continue to listen to us on our normal podcast channel. Through- yeah, no, that, here's the line, Will. Wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Exactly. Wherever, Wherever you get podcast. your podcasts. Yep. Yeah. So, um, but also if you're, if you do watch us on Brian King Facebook or on my own YouTube channel, I'll still be there, but um, that, that won't change. So yep. not a big deal. Okay. Right. Wow. Okay, good. Now that's out of the way. We've confused everybody. <laughs> well, at least I'm confused. So. <laughs> and, and they can also, people can also email us, right? Yeah, yeah. If you have any questions or, as always, any discussion you want to contribute to the discussion we're having, you can always email us at lutheranreflections at gmail.com. Yeah, and that and, and if you can't find us, you can email us and we'll send you those links in an email. We'll, we'll respond, okay? Absolutely. Yep. So we are reachable and we're still here. I'm just retiring. Yep. So And, and uh, leaving the St. Luke YouTube channel. It'll give you more time to do stuff like this, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Stuff I love to do. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Now, to the top so, yeah. of the hand. Yep. So as I mentioned, we wanted to talk about the Psalms tonight. And I don't know, Pastor, if you wanted to do like a general discussion on Psalms before we jump into this, or if you want to do the reading first, and then we can talk about Psalms. It's up to you. Let, let's do the reading. Sounds good. And that'll let it sink a little bit. And then we'll talk about Psalms. Then we'll go back through the reading verse by verse. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Great. Thank you, Pastor. Okay, so we could... We could literally spend weeks talking about the Psalms. The Psalms, simplest way to think about it is these were the Old Testament people's hymns. Right. Right. This was their this was their hymnal. These what we have is 150 Psalms. There's some different numeration in the Hebrew Bible, and I think in the Roman Catholic Bible there can be different numeration. But basically there's 150 Psalms that ended up being the Old Testament people's hymnal. Right. And so when we sing or speak these psalms in the context of a church service, 
this is one of our oldest liturgical traditions by far, right? Because this is one of the few yes. things that extends even past the New Testament church into the Old Testament church and a tradition that we've retained basically, uh, you know, continuously with full continuity to the Old Testament uh, styles right. of worship. So think about Psalm 23 just for a moment, just because it's one everybody knows. The, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He make all that one, that, mm-hmm. that lovely shepherd song. So David wrote that about 3,000 years ago. That's crazy, okay. actually, when you think about it. Yeah, it yeah. is. And, and you know, you know, I read it to somebody in the hospital last week. I, it's part of my um, the liturgy I use when I'm giving people communion in their homes. And I did mention a sermon quite a while ago. I said, you know, people have been saying this psalm for 3,000 years. Well, it's yeah, so- it's, it'd be 5,000, right, if it was 3,000 B.C.? Well, no, it was 1,000 B.C. Oh, 1,000, okay, yeah, 1,000 yeah, BC, I'll, got you. Yeah, well, we'll okay. add a few thousand years to it just to make it more <laughs> yeah, impressive. Yeah. We can we can hyperbolize a bit. Right. Yeah. Since the dawn of time, this... No. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so David lived like around 1,000 BC. So okay, very good. Th- 3,000 years ago, people have been using a psalm. It, you know, you think about, you know, we've been using the new, or the old King James since 1611. Mm-hmm. So more than, what is that? 400 and some odd years, mm-hmm. we've been using that King James version of the psalm. Think about how many millions and millions of times people have recited this, how much comfort that's given to people all over. I read it to people when they're dying. Yeah. I use yeah. it in funerals. I, I used it as a, a wedding text for a sermon one time. Right. It's, it, it, it's so rich. So these psalms, these Old Testament hymns that were inspired and seems as though Ezra probably compiled the list we have today, the 150 of them, uh, as the temple's being rebuilt and things like that. But this psalm was probably written at some time of exile. Maybe it was in Sennacherib. Sennacherib was overthrowing or surrounding Jerusalem. There's this lament uh, that the the psalm writer here can't be in God's house. Mm -hmm. So there's this longing that comes forward. There's all sorts of different types of psalms. The, the funniest one, at least to say it, are is uh, imprecatory psalms. Right, right. And those are the ones where the psalmist is calling down, down God's wrath on their enemies. Right. And these are kind of controversial, right? Like they are. some of the Psalters that we use omit these imprecatory psalms. I, I th- We were talking before this. Um, I was wondering if the Lutheran service book, our current hymnal, had all of the psalms in there. Or if they omitted some of the imprecatory psalms, I think I think it does. Okay, like, took well, that's glance. good to hear. Yeah, took a quick I, glance. Yeah, there's. I mean, you know, here here's a line. Oh God, that you would slay the wicked. You know. Yeah, right. It, right. That's an example of an imprecatory line from from one of the psalms. And sometimes, right. the, the, an, what appears to be a, can I say non imprecatory, uh, a non condemnatory psalm will end with that line, mm. or a few lines like that. There's this. There's this curse of your enemies thrown in as it were so there's imprecatory psalms there's there's psalms that were you they're called a, a song of ascent when the, the people would recite them or sing them when they were going up to jerusalem to worship mm. there are songs of lament there are so, there are messianic psalms uh, the the book of psalms is quoted quite a few times in the new testament probably 30 percent of old testament quotes are from the psalms in the new testament wow Wow, yeah, that many. It's, it's a lot. Now, also remember, as Jesus is dying on the cross, 
he quotes Psalm 22. Mm. How much of it does he quote? I, I, I tend to think that he quotes more than what was recorded in, in John. Right. We have the, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Love. Right, right. But I, I, I wonder if he didn't continue the song. Yeah, no, that's that's a good point. It Very kind well of makes sense. Have. So here's Jesus dying on the cross, paying for the sins of all people of all time, and he's quoting a psalm. Yeah. If that doesn't put that somehow to the top of some list somewhere, I, I don't know what could. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Importance, importance. And it's that, also nice. Go ahead. That sort of range of expressive emotions is, I think, another thing that gives the Psalms kind of their enduring character, right? So, like, yeah. you mentioned some of the imprecatory Psalms, and there are these, like, songs of joy, and then you have these songs of deep sorrow, like the ones that, that Jesus was uh, was praying on the cross. Yeah. And um, that's one thing that Luther touched on, uh, and th- now might be a good time to bring in that quote since we're talking about this. That's fine. It's a great, it's a great quote. So for our extra biblical reading tonight, we just had one little paragraph from Luther's introduction to the Psalms. Luther has a a lot of really good things to say about the Psalms, but this paragraph kind of embodied what we're saying here. He says, but what is the chief subject of the Psalms? If it is not earnestness of language in all the storms and contradictions of life, where shall we find words more adapted to express joy than what are contained in the Psalms of thanksgiving and praise? We see here the hearts of saints. Our thoughts are like the flowers of a beautiful and well-cultivated garden, and our gratification consists in a grateful adoration of divine goodness. Again, where do you find more profound expressions of melancholy and sorrow than are contained in the psalms of affliction and mourning? You look, I say, into the very hearts of holy men. You become familiar with death, and the interior of the tomb is opened to you. We see it dead and dark under a consciousness of the just wrath of God, and we perceive that his countenance is, as it were, turned away from us. In the two great passions of fear and hope, we find them depicted in language which no painter can embody and which the greatest human actor would ineffectually attempt to transcend. Yeah, it's good, huh? That's really good, yeah. So, yeah, there's songs, some some of the psalms are just songs of praise. Right. Not, I don't mean just in a to, to in a diminutive way. Just they they are simply straightforward songs of praise. Mm-hmm. You can pretty much find what you want in the Book of Psalms, and, right. and so many people over the years have read them. Some people will read one a day and and get through them all in in a matter of months and things like that. So you know about five months, right? Some mm-hmm. people will read one in the morning, one in the evening. Uh, lots of very famous theologians have written commentaries on the Psalms and explanations of the Psalms. And it was Luther, actually a monastic practice in the in the medieval church to go through the entire psalter in a week was was a common practice wow. and and some of the more intense monks would do it uh, every single day which is hard to fathom and and not yeah. that we're endorsing that sort of monastic practice but um the psalms have been used extensively in those sorts of intense devotional settings right and we so we have this uh, custom in a lot of christian churches where they chant the psalms mm-hmm and um, and and that can be good if it's well done. Mm-hmm. Um, we I, I think probably since I I got here we read a psalm every week in in the Sunday service. Sometimes we'll read it responsibly. Sometimes together. Um, the last few years mostly it's just been my reading it alone, just for the change and everything. But in 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 the Old Testament, there's headings to some of these psalms. Well, there is a heading here, 
that we're just going to look at briefly, just so we can talk about headings. So, to the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, we're not quite sure what the Getith is. Now, there were Gittites, and it might have been musical in instruments they brought, or it might have been one of their song tunes, okay? Mm. So, mm. if you look in our hymnal, in the back of our hymnal, uh, the tunes have names. And if right. you look in the back of the hymnal, it'll list which hymns use that tune. Right. You may notice that sometimes in church. Well, this tune's familiar, but these words aren't what I'm used to because some common hymns were written, some hymns were written for those common tunes. Right. So so too with some of the psalms. Uh, one psalm would say to the choir master, to the tune of Doe of the Morning. Mm. So the choir master would know that, okay, this is the tune that goes with the song. The meter's going to match. Right. Because that's what you have to do with when you're using a different tune, you're writing something for it. You've got to match the tempo and meter and everything. It right, exactly. Sense. Right. So this this was done with the Book of Psalms. Now here it says a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, um, the, the, choir, the choir was made up of descendants of Korah appointed by David, just one example, a little snapshot in time, to serve in the temple liturgy. The Korahites represented the Levitical family of Kohath, son of Levi. Okay. So, now remember the Levi, the, the tribe of Levites were responsible for the, for the worship. Right. Okay. Right. And so there was a group of them, some of their descendants of Levi, who were the musicians and were responsible for the choir, for the music, for the instruments, all of that. So a psalm of the sons of Korah, possibly a psalm for the sons of Korah. Some of these, some of the Hebrew, there are little letters put in front of words that have multiple meanings. It can mean for or of. Right. Okay? It's a, it, it just makes it a little hard to translate. So these headings, um, they, they appear to be very old. Uh, the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, started to be done around 300 B.C., Okay. And these these headings were incorporated into them. So okay, it, this is interesting. So so just to clarify, this heading was like part of the original text or some ancient heading perhaps yeah. added around the time of the Septuagint? Well, no. Most people think that it was before that. Okay. Most theologians think that that these headings were written with the original. Okay. Wow. That that they were there. And that would that would be okay. We don't know it definitively, but there's nothing wrong with the headings. Right. It seems as though they were there. They're very ancient origin. So if the Septuagint was started in 300, again, the, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, that they included them. So they've been there a long time. And this also adds to some of the differential in the in the numbering. Right. And you had well, mentioned that. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Because so in the the slide for tonight, the heading isn't included as part of verse one. Right. No. It's added before that. And usually when you see headings added before a verse in scripture, it's indicative of some sort of like editorial note that was added in by the translator, right? right. When you see and the headings in like the ESV, those headings obviously aren't uh, part of the original text. Right. And often set off in different text font or the use of italics. Yes. Um, now I'd set this off in a different font just to bring attention to it. Um, some Bibles, it's not going to be in a different font. Mm -hmm. Some it is. So, so some of the some of the Bibles, 
start numbering with that heading mm. is I think what you had noticed, right? Yeah. Well, in one of the commentary translations, I think it was like the international critical commentary or something like that. They had verse one as the heading and then all the other verses were just shifted by one. But that was the only place I saw that sort of numeration. So. Yeah. I saw one of the commentators had um, included the heading and then started what we call verse one is verse two. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, but, but they're interesting because there's a lot of information we glean from these headings that seem very old, right. musical direction, types of instrument, um, things like that, how to, how to be used. Um, it, it's, it's fascinating. So hopefully your Bibles include those, those headings. Yeah. And it's a, it's a shame that we've lost some of this information and we'll get to some more information that we've lost later on in this text. But the fact yes. that we just don't know what one of these words mean or what it's even referring to is really interesting. And, and you wonder like how important that was to actually like singing these things. Cause it is like we sang one of the Psalms responsively uh, before our elders meeting last night, in the new sanctuary and singing the Psalms. It was really, really nice to do that as a congregation. That's not a normal practice uh, we have down here. But um, actually doing that, like, really did give the psalm, like, a new kind of character and feel. And so you wonder, like, what sort of difference having the original music would have made into, you know, hearing these things. Right. And it would have been, it would have been melodic, not, not a chant. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So chanting, chanting was brought about so that someone could keep their voice at a high volume for extended period of time. Mm Mm-hmm and not wear themselves out. So it, it's sort of a, it's, it's sort of a, uh, interpretive oral exercise. Okay. Okay. We have microphones and speaker systems now, so it's, it's really necessary, but a lot of people love the old Gregorian chants. And all. So that, that's oh, yeah, fine. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. But these would have had tunes. They weren't chanting the way we chant in modernity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. Okay. That's uh, good to know. Yeah. And, and a lot of, well, contemporary Christian musicians will just take a psalm and, and put it to music. Right. And that's right. and that's fine. That's great. But how can you go wrong singing scripture? <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and and there's another thing about singing something. It, it aids in your memory. Yes. If you definitely if you if you know the tune to something and learn the words that you can memorize things better. So. Right. Yeah. So a and lot he, of it's a, a memory aid and, and it's also worshipful. Right. Right. And I found even the chanting, even though it's like more or less the same tunes that you can apply to every single psalm, just doing that in practice really helps you memorize the words. So like um, I, I've occasionally listened to the recordings from the uh, the Brotherhood prayer book, which are just these pre-recorded chants of uh, the psalms for evening prayer. And so there are like three that never change for, uh, for evening prayer uh, in the Brotherhood prayer book. And just hearing the psalms sung over and over, even in the chant tones, really ingrains them in your memory in a way that speaking them doesn't. Yeah, and there's another problem. When we read something, we usually just, we read it quickly. Mm -hmm. One good thing about chanting is that we're singing. It makes you slow down and pay attention to what you're reading. Yeah, yep, it does. A lot of these were sung, a lot of them were praised, they're used in worship. They're full of incredible theology, addressing uh, numerous topics. Again, quoted quite a few times in the New Testament and wonderful. So why don't we take a little deeper dive into this one? For sure. As um, time is fleeting. So, 
How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. Okay, so first off, in the Old Testament, God did say, look, you, you build this ta this tabernacle, this tent of meeting, later the temple. I'm going to meet with, with you there. Mm -hmm. Okay? So this is important. So it's possible this was written by someone who was either in exile or not able to get to the temple. Could have been around 700. Could have been a problem okay. with Sennacherib attacking God's people. It seems as though there's this yearning to be at and in God's house. Right. Now, where do we meet with God? Okay. For the Old Testament, it was, it was really prescribed that they mm -hmm. were to meet in the, in the tabernacle or, or in the temple. And that, that was important for the people. We, listening to Jesus' words, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. We understand the point of gathering is that we're gathering with other people. And we, and we, liturgically, we have an invocation. We, mm -hmm. we invite God to be with us as we gather, right? Right, right. So that was going on in a specified place for our Old Testament friends. And to not be able to be in that, in that, in that tabernacle or tent or temple was just heartbreaking. My soul right. longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. There he's worshiping my heart and flesh sing for joy you know, heart referencing spirit, but also with his flesh. We we are God's create creatures, his creation, and we worship God not just with our thoughts, not just with our words, but also with our with our bodies. Right. Right. And now even even though things have kind of changed for us New Testament people, there is still like this longing to be in a sort of like space that's set aside and designated for weekly worship speaking as someone who <laughs> as a congregation we we were without a building for several months uh this past fall because we're, we're building a new church building and we had to move out of our old ones so we were worshiping outside for a while and we are so ready to be in the new sanctuary right and we can't wait for that uh in a couple of weeks um and so there is that sort of even as new testament people we have this desire to be in a space that's set aside for uh worship and a, being in the a, de of God. A, a dedicated, consecrated church. Yeah. Yes, right. And, that, yep. and that's good because you're reminded as soon as you walk in there, this is where we meet with God. Exactly, right. And having spent decades in, in our lovely sanctuary, it's a nice place that people over 100 years ago set apart for God's people to gather to be with God. Right. Nothing magical about it, but we can say that this is a place of spiritual growth and importance for people when we gather there in the name of the triune God. Right, exactly. Yep. Okay. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts. Now, this is a rather odd verse in one, and I, I just thought it was one of those nice poetic things, but one commentator said, said that in Old Testament times, uh, even in the temple, that the birds would make their nests in the rafters and beams in in the temple. Interesting. And that, and that it was just, well, you think about like warmer climes where you live, uh, you can have a bit more open structure. We went to Mexico many years ago and I was just kind of shocked at the fact that sort of the office to where we're staying didn't have windows that closed. There were just big openings in the wall and there were no doors. Right. And I thought, how can you do this? You know, <laughs> totally foreign, but you know, a, the temple could have been built in that way with some openings. And so apparently the birds did come in and make their nests and where they would lay, lay their young, which is, Interesting. which is, it's very cool. It's very cool. 
Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. And of course, that is one big reason why we come together as God's people, is to sing his praises. Verse 5, blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now remember, this word Zion, uh, Mount Zion, used synonymously for Jerusalem or also for the place where God meets his people. It ends up being sort of used as, you know, children of Zion, the believers. So it's it's a physical place in Jerusalem. But it's also used in a, in a spiritual way to talk about people coming home to God. Right, right. right. As, as they go through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. The exact valley isn't necessarily known. It's, it's postulated that it's four to five, six miles away from Jerusalem, and that people, as they were going to Jerusalem, would go through that valley that was uh, dry, that would dry. Hmm. And, of course, so and there's a little poetic idea there too that sometimes we do do go through dry places and arid lands before we reach god right before we right. before we're refreshed by those living waters that christ gives us right well yeah that's kind of the thing about all these psalms right they have like maybe a, a more literal reader or maybe we can say there's like kind of two senses in which these can be understood as i was reading the early christian commentary on this um, all of the early church fathers were interpreting this kind of in light of our longing to be in heaven, right? Uh, with, yes. with God there. And so um, even if like perhaps the Psalm writer had this idea of exile and perhaps there was some reason they couldn't be at the temple during this time, it takes like almost a new meaning for us, but the sentiment stays the same. Kind of the core principles stay the same, right? And that that's kind of the inter- interesting thing about this, like universal applicability of the Psalms. Well, yeah, and that's that's the beauty of them too, right? So, you know, I've never walked through the Valley of Baca, but I can I can kind of think about going through a bit of a wilderness on my way up to, you know, Jerusalem to, mm-hmm. to be with God. Right. So many things in life, and, 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 and God is very gracious to us because you think about all the parables of Jesus that are agrarian, they are mm-hmm. farm- they are of farm lessons, okay? Right. Agrarian. And that helps us physical people understand spiritual matters. Mm-hmm. And also that the physicality, this world in which we live, it isn't unspiritual. Mm-hmm. Right. It, it, but there, there's connections between them. So yeah, there can be there can be a description of something physical, but we can also understand the spiritual implications for that physical situation. Right. Right. Think about Jesus dying on the cross. That's a physical situation with incredible spiritual meaning. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Okay. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Again, this place where we meet with God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. And again, this uh, idea of calling up you know, their forebearers, their forefathers. Jacob mm-hmm. renamed Israel. Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. Now, that may very well be um, a reference to the Messiah. That's the word, the anointed one. Mm. But the idea of shield, uh, think about shield and buckler and all these military things. Um, also, the kings were anointed. Mm. Right? Okay. So this may, you know, behold our shield, maybe referencing um, what you would wear in battle to protect your to protect yourself. 
Right. And then, of course, the king is anointed and the kings would lead their people in battle. Right. Okay, yeah, that was one interesting, another kind of interesting uh, translation difference between the different commentaries. Some people had interpreted verse 9 as, look on the face of your of our king or um, our ruler or something like that. Well, yeah, th- th- and that's the ambiguity of the word Mashiach, Messiah, uh, that's Hebrew, Mashiach. Greek is Christos. Mm. It means anointed. And, and as I said, the kings were anointed. Right, right. And of course, Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit without measure. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah, where there were other anointed ones. Mm. Mm. Here's a line we use liturgically. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would yes. rather be a, yeah, which is, which is true. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Some translations say in the tents of the wicked. It, it means the same thing. Right. Yeah, this is a really important one for us, right? This is part of our liturgy. Of, is it matins? Is well, we, prayer and preaching, matins too. I'm not sure which. Okay. You yep. read it, you know it. I, it's used so much, you kind of forget where it. But I know it's in prayer and preaching in the opening in the opening lines, right? And if my memory serves me correctly, it's one of those that you repeat three times, unchanged every time you repeat it. I'd yes, rather that, be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Yeah. Repetition's a good teacher. Yep. Right. Because, you know, you say these words and people who are liturgical just, oh, yeah. But there's significance here. So this is someone who would rather be a servant and, 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 and at the door at God's house than be, than dwell in the tents of wickedness, than to be associating with those who are anti-God, anti, mm-hmm. anti-good. Right. Uh, wonderful. It's, it's, uh, there's, a, there's an aspect too, and I think it was an, another Luther quote um, that I have right here, I believe. Therefore, he who truly longs, his soul faints and pines for the churches of Christ. He says, courts, because the churches of his age are the forecourt of the coming house in the heavens. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, Luther again, a forecourt of the coming house in the heavens. So we can regard the places where we gather together with God's people, whether they're designated, consecrated, set apart place of worship or gatherings of, with other Christian people, that that's like the forecourt, the entrance to heaven. Mm. It's where you go first. Yeah, yeah, I really like that picture. And this is something our Eastern brothers and sisters have a really strong notion of, right? That kind of the worship is like this little taste of heaven, right? <laughs> and, but I, I really like Luther's imagery that uh, worship is like the forecourt. It's one of the translations I, I had of verse 10 said, I would rather be at the threshold in the house of my God. And that kind of gives that same sort of imagery, right? That you're kind of standing on the precipice of where uh, our world ends and heaven begins, so to speak. Yes, yes. We also have a little bit of that, you know, in our liturgy, we say with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name. Yeah. Praising you and saying, we have this idea that when we're gathered together in the name of Jesus, that we're not just, alone or just with a group with Jesus there alone, but also with others. We, we, we are think dimensionally, not spatially. And then it makes a little more sense, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Okay. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. So warmth, good shield protection. 
The Lord bestows favor and honor, which he does. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God pours out his blessings upon those who are penitent. Another big group of psalms are the penitential psalms. Right. Okay. Where the lament is, I am a sinful person. Dear Lord, don't give me what I deserve. Be merciful and gracious. Right. O Lord of hosts, blesses the one who trusts in you. Truer words, never spoken. O Lord of hosts, blesses the one who trusts in you. And again, this blessed with the accent because it's used as an adjective. If it's used as a verb um, or a noun, pronounce it differently. Someone was blessed by the event, but then they... Then they are, if we read the Beatitudes, blessed are those who, et cetera, et cetera. Now, in verse 4, or right before verse 4 and verse 8, which one was it? Well, remind me, was Selah. Oh, uh, I think it was both, actually. It, yeah. it occurs twice in here. Yeah. It does, right? At the end of verse 4 and at the end of verse 8, if you look in your Bibles, it will have the word Selah, S-E-L-A-H. Yes. Now, we don't know what that word means. <laughs> so we have, we have no clue. No, so this, what we read tonight was taken um, from the program that generates the orders of service for Lutheran service book. And they, if you'll notice, there's nothing at the end of verse four. There's no selah there. Right. And there's, no, and there's not one at the end of verse eight because, because liturgically or it, it's confusing. We leave in the Bible out of respect. It's often put in italics because we don't know what it means. But often the, the texts that are used for worship don't include this word sila, which very well may be, and most people think it's it's a musical notation. Some people some people think it, it might mean praise. Some people might think it's it's intended for an interlude. Hmm. Uh, another possibility in my mind is that it's where you're supposed to sing a refrain. Right. That, that or or you just take a take a pause there. We're not sure. So if you look in your Bibles and you see the word Selah and you wonder what it means, well, join the millions and millions of other people who <laughs> wonder what it means, okay? That's so crazy to me that there's this word in the Psalms that we just have no idea what it means. It, yeah. It's kind of crazy that something potentially that significant might be missing, but I guess that's how it goes. Yeah, and I, and, and, and I would just counter with that say I'm shocked at how much we have been able to keep or determine. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Class half full, Will. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know what? We've burned up the clock big time. Yeah, we have. Right. Let's, uh, do you have a prayer that you can close us off with this evening? Yeah. Yeah, I can okay. pray a collect then, for us. Then we can, we can, and again, the word collect is supposed to collect the thoughts or the theme of the day, which is why we call it a collect because it collects those thoughts. And Will always tries to, tries, tries to find a prayer, a collect, that addresses the theological themes that we've discussed in the the evening. Thank you, Will. Exactly. Blessed Lord, who has caused all Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your Holy Word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.